What if you could build tax-free wealth through property investing? Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I'm the co-host of the Property Powers Australia podcast with Sam Powell. And in this podcast episode, Sam, myself, and Andy G talk about buying property in a self-managed super fund. We run through the top three risks of buying property in a self-managed super fund. We talk about the costs of getting a self-managed super fund started, the costs of running a self-managed super fund. And then we also talk about the benefits of buying a property in a self-managed super fund. We talk about how hard it can be to get finance um, for buying a property in your super fund, the nuances of it. We talk about, you know, can you have an offset account attached? Uh, and, you know, what are the regulations like with lending for self-managed super fund that you need to know? We also talk about what sort of property should you buy in your self-managed super fund? Should you start with residential? Could you buy commercial? What does that look like for business owners? There's so much value in this podcast episode on super funds, buying property in your super funds, how you can do it, what to look out for, and what the benefits can be as well. Let's dive in. Welcome to Property Pals, the podcast where we share everything around how to build a property portfolio from researching areas, financing, structuring, buying, selling, and reinvesting to live a life of financial independence. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Jared, Sam, and the Property Pals team is strictly general and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should consider seeking independent legal financial and taxation advice from a qualified professional. Uh, all right, guys, self-managed super funds. Uh, I don't know enough about it. I know a little bit, but not enough. And uh, yeah, let's talk about it, Andy. Like so many people want mm-hmm. to want to build a property portfolio um, in their own name and outside of super in in different entities, but may not know they can actually buy in a self-managed super fund. So what do you need to do this to get in to buy a property in a self-managed super fund? I guess my first question is how much money do you need? Because that's going to be a good one for like moving into borrowing capacity. This is a big, it's probably going to be a big chat. This one, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. So look, ASIC's got rules around what they want to see as a minimum. Um, they usually say around 200 to 250,000 is what they want to see as a balance first before moving into a self-managed super fund. But that's, that doesn't have to be the case. Um, it's to be broken. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a hard rule. So it's, um, it's just more guidance. Yeah. And and I've done. We've seen clients go through with with a lot a lot less, like around 130 to 150. I've seen clients pull this off, um, and it all comes down to your risk profile, because the less money that's there, the the more risk there is with that first property, um, you know, and and just cash flow and, and things like that. But yeah, the the general rule we'll we'll start chatting to clients around that 200 250 mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so two. So I've heard the same as well. Uh, and then I'm like, hang on, like I've got enough like in my thing for a deposit. Like, can I can I get it? You know, can I just go away and do it? But there's 
there's more to it than just like, hey, you've got enough for a deposit. Uh, there's also things like mm. your LVR needs to be a certain uh, rate and then also you've got entry costs and things to consider when starting a self-managed super and then also, yeah. I guess, management of it. So let's, I guess, should we talk a little bit to that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Look, there's there's a lot more restrictions um, and rules and everything that come into play here as opposed to buying a property in your name um, compared to a self-managed super fund. So a lot of the a lot of the stuff's done the same way, um, but there's just different rules and everything that apply to, to how you can do it. So it, the the rule of thumb used to be a thirty percent deposit, um, and the whole the whole banking space really shrunk for who was offering self-managed super fund loans. Um, it used to be a lot of players in that space, and then it shrunk probably down to maybe four lenders were, that was it, uh, and that was the worst. And now over the last sort of five years or so, um, lenders have started entering that space again. So now we are getting more options, um, and they are being a bit more creative with the products they offer as well. So you can get um, deposits and around 20% now. They are allowing that. There are other rules. LVR. Yep, 80% LVR. Um, you, there are also rules around um, how much of a balance you need to have. Some some banks do want to see a certain balance there beforehand, okay. but some want you to retain um, a certain percentage of your initial balance after the transaction's done. So what that means is they might say, okay, after the transaction and everything happens, we want you to retain at least 10% of your initial balance. So if you had 200,000 um, as your starting balance, you bought a property, they'd want you to have at least $20,000 in cash in the fund um, at all times. And the main reason they have that is to try and mitigate risk. Um, if things do pop up and there are expenses for the property, um, you are able to pay for that and, and not be caught out. Or even if you know something happens and, and just to meet repayments as well. So, so there are a lot more um, rules to abide by with this. I think that's a good rule to abide by anyway. Yeah. Well, the biggest risk I see is, is usually liquidity risk for for um, self-managed super funds because the way the way they get treated is your your contributions um, as well as the income that the property generates are going to be everything that that keeps this going. So we've got limits and restrictions on how much we're allowed to contribute into our super funds per year. So if you're if you're hitting those caps and you can't put any extra cash into the super fund, then you're gonna you're going to come undone and you're going to have cash flow issues. Can you run through those caps, those superannuation um, contributions? <clears throat> yeah, so it changes um, It changes every year. It's going up, down, up, down. Um, concessional <laughs> concessional caps this year, um, 27,500. But previous years, um, you know, it was 25,000, then then twenty like 27,000, and it's just kind of gone up and down, up and down. I think it might have been as low as 20,500 maybe at one point. Hmm. Um but you do have special rules around um, what you can carry forward over the previous five years. So if you haven't been hitting your cap every year for the last five years, you can actually jump onto your MyGov or the ATO portal and see how much cap space you've got available. And you're allowed to bring that previous five years of cap space forward into a future year. That is a, an amazing accounting little hack for myself <clears throat> where I'm like, and other people may be thinking, all right, I want to buy, especially listening to this podcast, I want to buy as much, you know, contribute to my own personal property investment investments through, you know, my personal income after paying tax, and of course, um, 
before I start building my self-managed super fund. And that's what I've made a decision to do is like not put as much into my super. I still do to bring it down tax things and stuff like that. But that's really good to note as a strategy of like, oh, I can load more. Are you, are you saying, for example, if one year I don't put 20, I put like, let's just say I put 10 grand in over the next three years into yeah. super. Uh, that means technically if it's 25 grand a year for those three mm. years, I, you know, I'm putting 30 grand in where I could have put 75 grand in. Yeah. So I, I can put the rest in at another time. Or yeah, that- you, you would be able to put 45 concessionally in as a contribution um, and then not breach any rules or have to pay any extra tax to the ATO. Yeah, so that that's over a five year period. So yeah, when you're talking about these calculations, it's always easier just to say tw- flat twenty five <laughs> to yeah. for those examples. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Especially for my brain, because we already spoke about this uh, before. As my, I'm not the best at the maths <laughs> <laughs> explanation. Um, yeah. So and and like you were just touching on a bit, there is a fine line to walk around. Um, yeah, big part. You know, working uh, out if this is a, if this is something that you want to do early is, on, especially uh, a lot if, of people go especially for thinking, younger clients. Hey, there's um, um, yeah, we can manage. Is you know, you talk to young clients about putting money into super, and and none of them really want to do it. Just like you, at least you know, not off the bat because it's something they can't touch for such a long time. They want to lock that away. Maybe they've got other goals of you know a home deposit and things like that. The money, um, the money could in, be better utilized, but you know, the effects of compounding and everything like that, you know, you start salary sacrificing or putting money into super and then if you want to buy 20, property, you, you know, by the time you're 60 and you're able to access it tax free, like that's, Andy would be able to shed a bit more that's, uh, on that you know, as well. next level compounding effect there. So, yeah, you know, if you, if property is something that you want to do in the self-managed super fund, then putting those contributions away early can, can definitely help get there. Yeah. The way I think about it is. You know, if I buy two properties over a three-year period or somebody buys two two properties over a three-year period and then they grow and they earn a bit of income and they're positively mm. geared, then you can that gets put to your taxable income, but you could take – instead of paying more tax on the income, you could take a bit out and then put it into your super and you have a, a tax sort of strategy around that, I guess. Yeah. So that's the – there's some pros there in um, in super without even yet investing in a property within the super fund. I wanted to speak to before we move into the pros and cons of doing this whole build a build a build a portfolio in your super. <clears throat> what are some of like the costs or the like this maybe? And I know every single accountant's different, right? But like, what are some average costs of setup, yeah. and then what are some average costs of maintenance? Because you know, yep. if somebody does have 130k and they can do it, like you know, uh, they should know like what some of the costs are getting involved. Yeah. With. Well, and this is part of um, why ASIC's guidance is around that 200 to 250 thousand. Mm-hmm. Is because the the fees to open a super fund and to maintain it, especially in the first year when you put it all together in that first 12 months, mm-hmm. um, to set up a super fund just on its own. With no, with nothing, you know, not expecting to get a property or anything like that, it's usually between say two and a half and maybe three grand to to set up the self-managed super fund. Um, and then if you're going to go down property routes, there's a few other things that you need to do as well, which we chat about, which can add another sort of thousand maybe to it. Yeah. Um, and then ongoing costs. You know, because with the self-managed super fund, it's in the title, it's self-managed, so you've got to do it all yourself. 
So what you need to do as far as compliance is, um, you know, tax returns annually, financials, and you need to get it audited independently. Mm-hmm. So that goes out to someone else. Um, and then that those costs all vary. Usually it's based on the complexity of the fund. You know, if you've just got a self-managed super fund um, and all you've got is a share portfolio and that's it, then, you know, that compliance burden might be a bit less for the accountant. So they might charge you a bit less. Um, I've seen usually it starts at maybe around 1500 for your more basic super funds. Yeah, per year. And that might be for tax financials and audit all bundled in. Um, And then the higher end, I've seen as much as five grand or more. So when you start, you know, adding complexity, you add a property, you got share portfolio, one property, maybe two properties, um, you know, term deposits, all sorts of stuff going on, then they start charging you, you know, a lot more for that. So it can vary quite a lot. On average, it's usually maybe around 3000 per year. Yeah. Yeah. 3000 per year for management and then roughly entry costs is what, like a couple of grand? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say, you know, if you're just trying to get some rough ideas, probably around three as well. Okay, great. Yeah, plus great. GST. So, and that's why when you take that as a percentage of your whole fund, especially if you've only got 150000 or, or or less, you know, that's a pretty big percentage in fees that you're paying straight away. Um, and then that's what ASIC are trying to, you know, help people with is not losing so much in fees to get set up. The the problem you do have is when, when you stay on a retail or an industry fund is you're on a platform and those platforms usually charge a percentage fee. So those fees increase as your balance increases. And there's usually a tipping point where once your balance is at a certain point, the super fund may be charging you six or seven grand a year in fees. So then it ends up actually being cheaper for you to move across to a self-managed super fund, even if you're not buying property. Yeah. And and in some cases, it's yeah, it's cheaper doing it that way. So, is that where that two hundred fifty thousand in your um, mind comes from? Like when you hit that threshold? Yeah. I, uh, dep- it depends on the super fund, to be honest, for that two hundred fifty thousand. Um, because yeah, we just had some clients in here the other day. And going through super funds and the way they hide fees and everything is hmm. is still shocking. What you look on your you look on your statement and what you actually see, you know, what you see they're charging you, what they tell you they're charging you. And then when you dig a little bit deeper into the um, the PDSs of the investments and things like that, you find out what they're actually charging you, and it's it's phenomenal. So we had some clients that were around, um, <clears throat> might have been around four hundred thousand was their super, and with their fund and their investments. Um, it might have been around the 350 mark that was a tipping point for them where it was a bit cheaper to move to a self-managed super fund. Yeah, it's, really uh, it's not surprising, put it that way. Yeah, they've still got a lot to go with disclosure and stuff like that um, in the super superannuation industry. Yeah. Do you I, I commonly to... see the, like say, property purchased through self-managed, is it more of the commercial route or is there um, sort of residential? Um, as a um, I, I generally see um, see both pretty evenly. Uh, you know, for us, we're probably skewed a bit more towards commercial, mainly because we've got business clients. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can you can have residential or commercial. <clears throat> there there is a good thing. So when you have a residential property, um, it needs to be treated at arm's length. Meaning, if I buy this property in my self managed super fund, I'm not allowed to go live in it. Or, or put my partner or, or family member or something in there. 
needs to be at arm's length and that lease needs to be with someone who's not not a relative or connected to the self-managed super fund itself so there is an exception for commercial property you're allowed to put your business into that commercial property mm. um that's that's allowed so we see a lot of our clients instead of renting a property and or maybe they want to buy a commercial property in their actual company they'll instead go down the route of starting a self-managed super fund buy it in their fund and then put their own business in that commercial property yeah that's a really strategic play for a lot of people and it, uh, you become your own tenant you're a bit more of control and it de-risks it if you have confidence around your business which is yeah, absolutely. Everything obviously still needs to be done at market rates and yes. that. But it's just another good way of getting money out of your company into your own pocket, really. And you help funding your retirement and, and speeding that whole process up. You're building an asset, you're building more, you know, getting, getting more contributions into your fund. Um, the commercial side and putting a com- your own company in there is just, it's just win-win. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, we're on self-managed super, but there's a lot to touch base on maybe another time as well, just around like your retirement strategies too. So I imagine on your end, the, the self-managed super, is a, is, a, is it a critical part to helping people in that journey of um, retirement strategies? Um, for, for us, it is, yeah. I, I see it all the time with our retirement clients. This is just outside of, outside of super. Um, so outside of properties and super, but just super as a whole, um, <clears throat> the clients who who have a substantial amount to the ones who who have maybe even just a couple hundred thousand, there's such a huge difference in the quality of life that they can live in retirement and onwards. Um, that it's just it's just um, when you see the numbers, it's it's really um, shocking. So getting clients on into you know to buy into super and wanting to invest in it and find other ways that they can actually engage with their super fund and you know and buy properties through it invest in it and just be a little bit more um, on the ball especially the younger they are just is going to help um i want to stick with a thread of going through uh it's getting somebody started right like you said you, you want to help people retire uh, and you can use your super for that. So somebody starting out that you say is typically younger and they, they don't want to put too much into their... <laughs> there he goes again. They don't want to put too much into their uh, super because they, they want to invest outside of super, hence like me. What are some of these, like, how would somebody get started? Would you suggest they do get started with maybe get up to 150 grand or a bit more uh, bef- and then get into like a residential property using property to grow your super. Before we continue today's pod, I want to ask you a few questions. What is your property investment goal? What type of properties do you want to own? How many? What size valuation property portfolio do you want to own? And how much net income do you want to be earning? Essentially, What's your magic number in passive income that you want to be earning? And do you know how to get there? And if you do, do you know how to get there in the least time possible with the least amount of risk? Sam and I have been helping people invest in property and build property portfolios for years. People who are now replacing their income through property and we want to help you do the same. Right now for a limited time, we are offering free property coaching to our listeners. We won't be able to do this forever, of course. So head to propertypals.au forward slash coaching. That's propertypals.au forward slash coaching to see how we can help you achieve your investment property goals. Link will be in the description too. 
So getting started um, is always going to be a big conversation. Most of, the, most of the funds we see, I don't see a lot of people doing it on their own. You're allowed to have, it used to be four members, but now they've changed the rules. You're allowed to have six members in a self-managed super fund. Don't need to be relatives as well. Um, so you've got six people, potentially six people. You can pull all of your contributions or sorry, all of your super balances together. So you can see straight away, you know, you got a few people in their 30s who have been working, you know, since their late teens or whatever. There's going to be, you're going to hit those minimum requirements straight away for, for balances and things like that. So, you know, you can, majority of the funds I see, it's usually um, uh, a couple who decide to, to start a self-managed super fund um, or business partners or, or just a family unit. So mum, dad, and maybe a couple of kids um, starting a self-managed super fund together. So it usually all starts with that conversation of, you know, the, the parents would have a bigger fund than the kids. You know, you'll want to help out and everyone wants to work together and, and grow this nest egg together. You can put all your funds towards that goal. Yeah, okay. So how do, what does that look like uh, in terms of, say, you know, there's say there's two parents and two kids and the two kids have 100k in their super each and the parents might have a bit more what does mm -hmm. this like what does that look like or let's just maybe stick with two couples if it's a more easier example like how does it yeah, yeah work um so what happens is you need to establish um a trustee so a super fund um is essentially a trust and it's held in a, a and superannuation is just a tax structure um and your super fund is just a trust that holds all of your your funds in trust for you for retirement um, so what needs to happen is you have to establish a trustee for the self-managed super fund. So that's just getting everyone together who wants to be in it and just signing the paperwork. This is how it's going to be structured. Um, all the members have to be trustees for the fund as well. So you can either do individual trustees, um, you know, and this kind of takes us back to our previous conversation about trusts and how trusts are structured. Yeah. Um, so you can have all the members as trustees individually. So then just say there was um, four members, you'd have four trustees, or you can have a corporate trustee and all the members need to be directors of that company. That way, all the members have um, equal right and ability to actually contribute and make decisions and, and do everything that affects their, their retirement. So you, you normally go to your accountant or financial planner, set up the, um, the trust deed and then set up a um, investment strategy as well, which is essentially saying, you know, this is our fund. This is our asset allocation for how much money we want to spend on different um, asset classes. So are we able to spend, you know, 50% of the balance on direct property or, you know, maybe 50% or 20% on shares, how much we want to hold in cash. And you kind of establish all those rules from the get-go of how you want everything to be invested. So that's, that's kind of your, your first big step. So establishing those entities. Um, and then, yeah, usually the accountant or financial planner can, can set everything up for you. Um, and then once that is set up, um, so that will just look like a piece of paper just sitting on your table. You then roll all of your funds or you set up a bank account using um, everything that's been set up so far, ABN, TFN and everything. Set up a bank account and then you essentially just roll your, super, your current super funds into that bank account. And then that's it. You've started. Yeah, that's a, another really key point I just want to come back to is the strategy going through with your accountant and your financial planner 
if you're going down that self-managed super fund route. I mean, a lot of people come to uh, go the buyer's agent route and they, they want to buy a property in their self-managed super fund, but they don't have I a strategy them. from their self-managed super position. Um, so, yeah, just I always push for people to have that strategy session with their accountant and financial advisors uh, prior to even looking at purchasing a property. So. Yeah, you know, this is the part with um with the way the rules are at the moment. You know, accountants can only talk about so much. Financial planners can only talk about so much. You really need to have, you know, so many different conversations there because the accountant's not allowed to advise you on what the strategy is going to be for, like, the investment strategy is going to be. You know, the financial planner's not allowed to advise you on, you know, other other things um, here and there. And the broker can only talk about so much and can't talk about tax and, yeah, so yeah, you know, a uh, accountant, financial planner, and a mortgage broker. <clears throat> yeah, if only there's <laughs> the only one place you could go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy, mean, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> it's it, it's interesting. Like, say you've got uh, two different people that want to start a you know self managed super together. What if they've got different levels of funds that they want to put into the super, or would they just only decide to, if they were going fifty? <clears throat> just can decide to contribute the same amount as each other um so what would happen is if you put all of your funds in say one's got a hundred thousand one's got two hundred thousand everything's tracked rollover benefit statements um you know you've got to keep uh, good records with everything that's going on the benefit statements just show who's contributed what into the self-managed super fund um, and what those funds are actually made of so what's taxable what's tax-free as far as the components of those contributions um, and that just means, you know, what funds have already paid tax at marginal tax rates and what's been paying tax at concessional tax rates. Um, that all gets tracked when you do your financials um, and tax returns each year. The accountants are tracking, you know, what contributions are being made, what contributions are made at the start. And you get a statement that actually tells you of that total balance how much each person has within that fund. And that gets tracked each year um, as you go. So, you know, you might start with 200,000 and 100,000 and then 20 years down the line, let's just say you've got, you know, 3 million in your in your bank account um, or in your self-managed super funds bank account. Yeah. That split you'll be tracking over the years and you know exactly how much someone's contributed by the by the end of the life of that super fund. Yeah. So, say say it was like the same level of contributions with the same, you know, two, one person's got 200 another person puts 100 in the start that's 300k and it goes 10x in however many decades mm -hmm. would that roughly be you know say everything state equivalent would it roughly be like two million to one person yeah more more or less yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. generally speaking that's exact, but yeah yeah because a lot of things top and change and that but yeah if like you're saying if everything just stayed the same throughout the life of it that's more or less how it would be treated yeah cool what would you say would be the biggest risks in going down the self-managed super fund route from an investment perspective for property? <clears throat> um, from an investment perspective, um, I like touched on it before. Liquidity risk is is the big one. Um, you know, just running out of cash, not being able to put more cash towards it. You know, you've got a property outside in your personal name that needs repairs and all these other things. That's easy enough. You can just pay for that, and you're done and dusted. So the big risk there, um, you know, is not having money to pay for things. 
The other big one, which comes up all the time, um, and is probably the biggest risk, to be honest, is just the legislation risk because every time there's an election or something's happening, superannuation comes back onto the table. So, you know, there is an incentive for the government, a big, pretty big incentive to have people fund their own retirements because, you know, their, their bill for funding pensions and everything like that is huge. So they do want people to, to self-fund in retirement, um, but they also use super as a weapon to get votes. So they're chopping and changing the laws all the time. Like there hasn't been one year where nothing has changed, like nothing's not changed. It's such a tricky one to think about. Like if you're 30 and you're like, all right, I'm going to just really go and start trying to do some self-managed super stuff and build out that, right, really focus on it. And you, you decide to contribute more through, you know, your 30s, 40s, um, then maybe in your 50s and your 60s and then you yeah. get to a, a position where like, yeah, I want to retire at like 60 or 65 and pull that money out and they go, oh, hang on, it's an extra 10 years now. Like there's yeah. a big risk there. It's a massive risk for people to consider, right? Yeah, absolutely. You don't know what that's going to change to. Um, they've already changed, you know, the rules on the preservation age because you used to be able to access your super fund uh, balance if you had retired by, you know, 50, 58. Mm. And then based on your age, they've scaled that up. Um, and then to 60 now. So, you know, that's sort of changed, um, you know, the retirement age, I think for the age pension that used to be, you know, 65, now that's 67. There's, there's all these things that are, that are changing. Um, and yeah, you just don't know 30 years down the line. Like, look at what they've done. They announced the other day, anyone with a balance of three mil or over now has to pay tax or they're proposing this anyway, potentially pay tax at 30% instead of 15%. So that's already going to cost people with a balance that big. That's like another, they've predicted on average about 80 grand is what it's going to cost people just to have that tax bill, just because some, you know, government's decided to change that rule. So there is a big risk with what is set up now may not be what happens down the line. And the big thing now with it all is that everything's tax free when you reach retirement and, and start drawing down all that income, um, you know, dividends, all the capital gains, everything's tax free in that environment, like once you've retired. So, yeah, you know, you don't want to get to the end of the end of the road there and then they've changed the rules and then it's I just not viable. Diversification is so key, right? Like it's building your wealth in super and outside of super. Outside, you've probably got a little bit more control um, from government regulations, you'd think. But, um, I mean, you never know, right? Like they're always chopping and changing. Um, giving you incentives to extract your, your cash out of your super away. I mean, remember that with the COVID? Um, yeah. Cut, people pulled, I mean, like, we had yeah. $20,000 out of their super. And it's like, well, you're actually robbing from your future self just to pay for, I, I had my, yeah. my wife's friends pulled them out for a um, personal surgery on a, to make oh. her look better, you know, in, in one way, yeah. which she was oh. beautiful as it is. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, my, my neighbor took out, I think, 10,000 and bought a bunch of surfboards. <clears throat> um, they just load, loaded up. And I think they, they put the numbers out there. They were saying, I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been like every $5,000 you pull out or every $10,000 was costing you 130000 by retirement, mm. you know, obviously at certain ages and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, a pretty crazy rule <laughs> that I, I doubt we'll see again. <laughs> What I'd, I'd love for you to, Andy, to poke holes at the, say, this ideology or strategy that some people could take is 
buy a property, like let's stick with a property thread here. I know you can invest in many other things, but we are a property podcast. So say you're 25 and you're like, all right, I want to, I want to, you know, build, I want to retire as quickly as I can, as early as I can. Would you say it's wise to build up some money savings from work and whatever it is, maybe other smaller investments to get a property deposit and then purchase a property out of your super in your personal name and then go and try and buy as many properties as you can in your personal name until say you get to like 35, maybe 40-ish and then then start putting more contributions into your super as you get a little bit older so you can make the money outside the super and then also that 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 money that you're making outside the super with those property investments roll some of that into contributions to be able to then start doing it in super like what's the yeah oh look and this is one of those big you know it depends <laughs> sort of situations again yeah. because but no, like like you're saying, it, it is something where generally you wouldn't start with the goal being, oh, I'm going to buy a property in my in my super fund. You know, most people yeah. are kind of focusing on properties in their own names. Um, you know, and building those portfolios outside because of there things. are incentives. There are incentives to do so, right? In your personal name. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you get so many tax benefits and things just from investing in property in Australia already. So usually that's, you know, your, your main or your first goal when it comes to properties, you're looking at it in your personal name. And as you're doing this, you know, if you're working the whole time, you know, super's up to 11% now is what um, employers are contributing. So, and that's going to keep increasing um, up until I think 12.5% is the goal. So, you know, you've got a good healthy um, income coming in from your employer. You know, you're building this, your super fund in the background. And it, it doesn't take too long, especially, you know, if your partner's been working the whole time as well, or you've, you know, you've got the four to six people to be building your portfolio personally um, and using directing your funds towards that. And then once you've hit those goals, you know, you can do, you can look at superannuation in the background or you can just run them both parallel. You know, you may be able to get away easily um, with purchasing a property and running that in the self-managed super fund based purely off the rental income and the contributions that come through from your employer as it stands. Mm. Um, you know, if you're paying a lot of tax and then maybe your, your financial planner or, or accountant starts working towards different tax strategies and maybe salary sacrificing is one of those, then, you know, maybe that's going to start that conversation of, right, I'm going to salary sacrifice to get tax benefits personally. And then it's also going to start building my deposit for this property and you know we're going to nail that in a couple of years. So it never really, I did, I've never seen it being one or the other. It's usually everyone's focusing on their personal side of things. And then if you want to do it, you know, in the SMSF, that's when you'd start utilizing all the tax rules to try to get as much into the super as you can to to get that property. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously the pros are you know, tax-free money when you retire. Um, are there other pros that you yeah. want to add to as well? Like, because you, well, you have mentioned that the two biggest risks is is basically legislation risk. And, yeah, um, there is another risk that I would want to touch on and, and that's the whole compliance burden. Mm. Um, you know, you're managing this all yourself. So there are strict rules that the superannuation, um, the CIS Act has, um, which if you breach those as a trustee, you know, there's penalties and, and fines and things you've got to pay. Your fund can become non-compliant, meaning it can't receive contributions. So, 
you know, that adds to the whole level of risk and, and adds back to the liquidity risk of, you know, if you're not very good at managing and following the rules of the super fund, you're a bit loose with your transactions because you've got a bank account sitting there. That bank account might just be on your phone. And, you know, maybe you're spending money using the SMS, SMSF's bank account and pulling money out. So you're breaching all these different rules, maybe you're not even realizing it. And then an auditor goes through and picks it all up and then and then you get fined. Fund becomes non-compliant. You don't have contributions going towards a loan and then you default on the loan. So compliance is a big burden there. Um, and it all comes down to record keeping, getting a good understanding of what the laws are um, and then sticking within those laws. So they're sort of the main um, cons with doing this. The the other pros, I think we touched on control and flexibility with yeah. what you can invest in and, and yeah. what you want to do with the fund, you know, insurances you buy and everything like that. Um, the other thing, the other pros, obviously you can use leverage, which you can't do in a normal super fund. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can buy the internally geared investments through retail, you know, through ETFs and things like that, um, but you're not allowed to get any loans otherwise. So with a self-managed super fund, you can, you can obviously do that. For so, property so investing, big. you can use yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the, um, what are the trade differences uh, from super to personal name for the lenders? The what? Sorry, the interest rates. Um, it, what's the interest rate difference? Sorry, it just cut yeah. out. I think he yeah. said, what he said. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not too bad. They're probably around from what I'm looking at, maybe 0.8 of a percent more. Okay. Yeah. Just and rough ballpark figure, depending on the lenders, now that the space is getting a bit more competitive. And with that, say, you know, you want to have a buffer of some income in your your super fund, right, to pay for, you know, the running of it, the management and all that sort of stuff. Say you've got a property that you've purchased for 500K and then you want to keep some money there um, for management running it and, you know, also if you need a little bit more to, to, to pay off the, if say it's like a little bit, little bit negatively geared, even slightly or for maintenance or whatever <clears> for the property, is it worth, like, can you have that cash in the super fund within an offset account against the loan? Um, generally speaking, um, you, you can get redraws and offset accounts as normal. There are a lot of restrictions around the loan itself. So the loans in a self-managed super fund are done in a what's called a limited recourse borrowing arrangement. So <clears throat> what that means is you, if the bank, if you default on your repayments, the bank can only go after the assets that are secured against the loan and nothing else. They can't touch any of the other assets in, um, in the super fund. So if you've got a share portfolio and a property there and you default on those repayments, they can only take the property um, and then that's it. They can get personal guarantees from all of the members as well on those loans. So, you know, just say there's, you know, stock market dipped. Um, oh, sorry, not stock market, property market dipped. Um, you defaulted on your repayments. Bank goes to take the property. There's still a shortfall there. They can go after the um, members' personal assets to recover that loan. If they sign as a guarantor for that. <clears throat> yep, and they'll yeah. make they'll make all the members be guarantors usually. Oh, yeah. and that's a typical, that's a standard thing when applying. Yeah, generally speaking to help, yeah, to help limit their risk um, because it's only limited to the assets with that are secured against that, mm-hmm. um, against that loan. 
So, and they can't touch anything else in the super fund because they're there purely for your, your benefit in retirement. So then you have to put, you have to go down as guarantors against that loan. So, so that adds a bit of risk there as well. Biggest takeaway yeah. for me on, on that front would be make sure you're buying an asset that's appreciating in value. <laughs> buying those types of assets that uh, don't. So asset selection is really key on that front. Yeah. yeah. So, so just before we move on, I really want to get a clear answer on this. I wasn't 100% clear. Can you oh, have sorry. an offset account linked to your loan account? Yeah. 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 And, and redraw as well. And redraw, yeah. Got you. Yeah. And that will, that will obviously, you know, it's typical offset link. That'll still bring the interest repayments down. So you've got 100, 100K in, the, um, in that offset. It'll still bring interest repayments down by whatever that amount is in. Or the loan yeah. payments. Yeah, okay, got you. Yeah. <clears throat> um, actually, now I think about it, I don't think you can actually have redraw. Sorry. Is that, is that from... <clears throat> might have to, cut, might have to yeah. cut that part out. We won't cut it out. We won't cut it out. But like, is that from... Do you feel that's from lenders <clears throat> or do you feel that's from... No, it's the it's the rules around the like the um, limited recourse borrowing arrangement. The LRBA because it's all limited to that one um, that that loan and that security. Um, you're not actually allowed to use equity in that property for any other investments. Yeah. So it's it's all limited to that one loan, that one property. So the way you would normally do it in your personal name, obviously, use equity to buy the next property. Mm. You're not actually allowed to do that. So if there is equity growing in that property, and just say you've got a hundred thousand dollars from the price increase going up um, of usable equity, you're not actually allowed to refinance and draw that money out to use as a deposit for another property or for any other investments. It has to be any refinances done, it'll be dollar for dollar. It's huge, it's huge because th this is the a fast way to grow your wealth in property outside of a self-managed super fund is take equity out of a property that has grown. So you yeah. cannot take any equity out in a self-managed super fund. So if you want to buy another property, you have to self-contribute from to self-contribute to that self-managed super to purchase another property. Oh, I lost you. So I was just saying, do you need to do you need to self-contribute to a super fund to buy another property? Yeah, so you can use your contributions or the rental income that the property the is generating. Income, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can use the income that it generates from that for to build up another deposit, but you can't actually yeah, draw money against that that property to use on another property. Hence, why Sam's question was really good before around the self, like when you're buying in self managed super, do people typically do it in resi or commercial? And with the commercial making more cash flow, that would most likely allow you to grow your property portfolio within a self managed super fund because you're getting higher cash flow rather than just capital growth, right? High yeah. capital growth residential properties, um, you know, I wouldn't say they're not the go because, you know, high capital growth over 20, 30 years is great for, you know, the growth of your your portfolio, but maybe you could scale faster with higher cash flow. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you're not restricted to, you don't have to just put your business in the, what we're chatting about before with that exception. You can buy a commercial property and have that tenanted to anyone as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's because of that limited recourse, the way it's all looking is, yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to redraw mm -hmm. because you're essentially pulling that money back out 
to to use somewhere else. So yeah, I love it. Sorry about that. No, that's that's great. It's, I think it's awesome to to know the difference of cash flow, um, going for cash flow in in a you know self managed versus just capital growth because it's a, you really need to know your strategy when you're moving moving or wanting to grow that. Um, yeah. yeah, but you can see you know if you've got you know a lot of members or you got four to six members there putting in a lot of contributions. Mm. It wouldn't. It doesn't take too long to actually, you know, turn that around to to start looking into a second property or third property and Absolutely. moving down that way. So you do lose that the ability to to use equity, which slows you down. But you've actually got a lot more income coming into that super fund than you would saving, you know, deposit on your own mm. in your personal name. Yeah, love it, love it. So key, key sort of takeaways from this, from my understanding, is if you are thinking about an SMSF purchase. Um, you know, think about diversification, but also what are you looking for? You know, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in in value, really, uh, of your your fund um, to go forward, or anything else that you'd preserve the key takeaways for those thinking about it, Andy. Um, yeah, just got to make sure that you do. It does fit in with your risk appetite. That'd be the big thing because I've seen people unwind them. Um, because it was just too much for them. <clears throat> the compliance burden compiled with maybe having a bad tenant or maybe getting a property that needed more repairs and things than they, they were expecting. Um, you know, it all sounds good and all well and good on paper, but when, you know, you're actually going through it, it may not be for everyone. So you've got to make sure it is within your risk appetite and you are looking and happy to use leverage and things like that for your super. Love yeah. That. And a key key take key takeaway for me is to try and find a, someone who's got accounting mindset and a financial planning um, strategic uh, background, and then obviously mixing that with mortgage broking. So another key reason why we like to get uh, Andy G on the the podcast. <laughs> another another, another yeah. little weird mate, but it is it is really important, and I'm hoping people are starting to understand the importance of uh, you know, good quality advice and, and talk with the right people. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming on here, Andy. Really appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks for having me again, guys.